Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Country boys and girls getting down on the phone. Come on around back Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Rosie on the house. Your Saturday morning tradition for 34 years. It is the first Saturday of the month, first Saturday in February. So we are talking farm fresh commodities if you're following along in your Arizona homeowner's home maintenance calendar that we publish. You can see that we're talking citrus today, but we're, uh, we're, we're doubling up today. We're going to kill two birds with one stone, talking citrus and hay. Now, why hay? Well, we'll get to that. We've got spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau in studio with us, Julie Murphy. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here, as always. Nice chilly week. I, it is. I just was on the phone with my dad as I was heading up here. Actually, I was parked in the parking lot, so I wasn't talking while I was driving. It was 18 degrees where he's at. Uh, he's south of Arizona City. So Ooh-hoo. it's cold. It's it's a nice... And somebody was complaining, I'm like, it just lasts for a week, maybe two. You'll be okay. <laughs> it hasn't and, been that the case. <laughs> the coldest I got this week was talking to my sister <laughs> in Branson, Missouri. Oh, yes. And it was like minus nine. Oh. <laughs> I got cold talking to her on the phone. Our farmers and ranchers, especially in North Dakota, South Dakota, they have to be bundled up. So we're still lucky, even though we might get a little cold during the winter. Yet we need those chill hours for citrus, right, Romy? Mm, not citrus. Oh, like we do. Stone fruits like apples and okay, for and fruits. for pistachios. Okay. We need chill hours for pistachios. We grow them wonderfully here in Arizona. But we have a guest in studio that I don't think we've had you here yet. So Trevor's Trevor Bales with Bales Hay Sales. Um, he's actually kind of made a name for himself. I call him a farm social media influencer. He's on Instagram. He's on YouTube. TikTok. TikTok. Not so much Facebook. <laughs> yeah, not so much Facebook, but all the... The new the, generation. Yeah. We're You're the, not on that old people's platform. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's where the young I, guns hang I, out. I have a hard time figuring out... Well, I have a hard time figuring out TikTok, but Facebook, I don't know. There's just so many things. I'm like, I don't know. I can't just hit upload and... I don't know. It's just different. I don't like it as much, so... So is Instagram or is it YouTube your favorite? Um... Instagram and TikTok are by far the easiest. I need my wife to help me to do anything on YouTube. I've recently figured out, though, you can do short stories and short little posts, which I didn't realize you could do until a couple days ago. So um, I don't know. I might start having a little more fun with YouTube on these short short posts. We'll see. Thank <laughs> we'll goodness see. for Nicole then, right? Oh, my gosh. There would be no YouTube without without a couple friends that are already YouTubers and my wife. Like, I you have to do some editing. So I was trying to do it all with my phone. And if you try to edit and you have fat fingers on a, on an iPhone, it just doesn't, it's it crazy. doesn't work. And, and, and so I said, sometimes you don't have to have fat fingers. You just have to be uncoordinated. I don't know. They need those little, <laughs> those little pins. What do they call those? Yeah. Anyways, stylus. But, um, I just couldn't, couldn't do it. So my wife said, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out the, um, editing. Well, on the family thing, you know, you guys have an incredible story. I've known your mom and dad for quite some time. But you are the sixth generation of Bales in the agriculture industry, and you're two boys. Well, sixth generation on the farm. On not, the farm. Not Bales, yeah. On the farm. And you have two boys. I do. That if they choose, as they grow up, one of them is only five months old, they'd be seventh generation. So tell us about the Bales agriculture farm family legacy. So it started off 
before bales were the Belotes. The Belotes are the ones that homesteaded here in 1891, and they were cattle ranchers. They so they've settled down on near the quote unquote river. It's not there's never water flowing, but it's the Gila River. They needed water. Water was shallow. There was water, so they they ranched and they did all this cattle stuff. Then they slowly uh, went into farming and ranching. Then they built a feedlot, and that's about where I think about where the bales came in um, doing feedlot. Uh, oh, my great great grandpa Wallace Bales married Alberta Belote. And then her family wasn't so interested in farming and agriculture anymore. So the Bales slowly bought the below pieces of property that were left. There were so many kids. It got split up so many times. So they bought what they could. And then it turned into the below farm with my great grandpa Wallace uh, Bale. Or it turned into the Bales farm, rather. Sorry. Um, with and my great grandpa Wallace. What's really interesting about that, like a lot of roads in America, it's named after the first family that moved in and started mm-hmm. you know, homesteading that area. Well, Bales Hay Farm is still on Belot Road in Buckeye. <laughs> it, it is, it is, um, which a lot of people don't realize that, that there was the family that was there. So um, it's fun when you get to tell someone, oh, that's actually my family that homesteaded here. So, uh, and that's before Arizona was even a state, 1891. Yes. Like, that's pretty sweet. And then when you pull into our farm, there's a big house, and I think uh, a big two story house. I think it it's was beautiful. Built- I've seen it. It's. It's historical. Yeah, it is. It's a historical landmark in Arizona. Uh, I think it was built in uh, 1908 or somewhere around, around about there. Um, it's still standing. And so there's a lot of history. Is it still inhabited or it's just no, there for it's just there. I'd like, I'd like to turn it into a store, but it's right off the road. I'm like, man, it's so close to the road. I don't – like, it'd, it'd be, be hard, hard for parking, parking. And I can't imagine – yeah, I guess I need to talk to you about redoing it maybe. I don't know. Cause <laughs> yes. I, it's boarded up. I recently it. sounds like it. we need to move the road. <laughs> it's so it's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's got a basement. So, But because it's got a basement, it's it's raised off the ground. You could probably move the house fairly easy. I don't I'm know. I'm telling you, there's a little discussion going on. I think the – Romeros are going to help the bales. You got to walk through it. It's super cool. I, I, I want to do that. It's, uh, it's boarded yeah. up, but I've popped one of the boards off. So we go through the flashlights. Uh, I did a whole YouTube on it, actually. It was kind of. Was... Oh, I know what I'm going to do on the next commercial break. <laughs> my my wife put scary sound in it. I thought it was fun. I love it. And that's a proof of sustainability in agriculture. Here's a sixth generation farm family still farming and possibly your boys if they so choose. So, one other fun thing I want to give props to you on. Trevor, is that we recently, the Arizona Farm Bureau, recognized you as Ag Communicator of the Year during the annual meeting this last November. Um, So why do you think we picked you? There's quite a few Ag uh, YouTubes and and Instagram and uh, social media people. There aren't as many out of Arizona. And I didn't even realize that. I kind of had just, I wasn't big into social media. Um, and I, I didn't realize, oh, the, the rest of the country doesn't farm like Arizona, even though Arizona isn't known for an agriculture state, what we do farm, it's like, it's, it's extremely, I mean, it's all year round. We never stop because of our weather and our lack of, because of our heat and our lack of, um, moisture, uh, essentially. So I thought, Hey, I need to start documenting this and kind of enjoy it and just see where it goes from there. And, and I've, I've been extremely blessed and, and lucky, lucky, and it, I, it's flourished. And so I, I think that the and Farm Bureau funny. recognize that. When you do it, Trevor is funny. Oh, I, I try not to be and very serious. If he was my son, I would tell everybody he's extremely handsome. 
I don't know so, about that, but I just I, I like to goof off quite a bit on on social media. I like to make people laugh. Well, I I know we've gotten the listeners to kind of clue in on this. How can they find you on the uh, social media channels? Instagram, it's Bales Hay. TikTok, it's Bales Hay, and then uh, YouTube, it's Bales Hay Farm and Ranch, which okay. is kind of long. I should have shortened yeah. the YouTube up, but so. Even though a lot of the times you are talking about what you're doing on the farm, you're kind of tying in a little bit of the history, especially if you went into the homestead home mm-hmm. and kind of YouTubed it and highlighted it. Yeah. I, yeah. I need to do a better job about, about talking about the history and, uh, and, and, and the future of things. But some, a lot of times I'm just running around just run, like with a chicken with my head cut off, just doing things like, oh, let's let's take a picture or video this real quick. And then it's, I don't know, my mind is just always running <laughs> yeah, around. Yeah. So well, it's hard to Well, you guys are focus. pretty busy. When we went out to visit, uh, we brought uh, the American Farm Bureau Fe- Federation president, Zippy Duvall, and I could not believe how busy your place is. It's always busy. And always busy. obviously you're known for your hay, bales hay, where they bale hay. I love that. Yes, bales, and, B-A-L-E-S. Yes. It's like a bale of hay. But you have grown other crops, and maybe you're still growing some of those. I don't know. No. So we, we used to be, my dad prided himself and my grandfather, my grandpa Steve, my dad Steve Jr., uh, in being cotton farmers. Oh, they love growing cotton, 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 cotton. And then the cotton market wasn't doing so well, and we always had a little bit of baled hay in the background for the feedlot. And people would drive through, like right through the middle of our farm. You, like you've got to drive past our shop, past the scales, past the equipment to get a bale of hay. And people would ask my grandpa, w- w- "Could we buy a bale from you or two? You, we don't have time to run to a feed store." He said, "Yeah, that's fine." And he told my dad, "I think there's something in this. We need to um, we need to take advantage or capitalize on the lack of feed stores around us." And my dad thought, "No, I do not want the public just driving through <laughs> our farm. One of our tractors is going to pull out and hit someone. Someone's going to back up and run someone over. Like it's going to be, someone's going to die." No, he didn't think that. But um, he's like, "This is a terrible <laughs> idea." But luckily, my grandpa was persistent, and the cotton just got terrible. So the cattle got terrible. Everything, the prices all just dropped, except everything but milk. Apparently, and we went over to the retail hay, and then we've grown into wholesale hay, and we ship it all the way to Florida. Everything stays within the United States, but wow! Uh, but you ship it all over. Mm-hmm. So you've done some of these other things, uh, but talk about the alfalfa business. Well, here in Arizona, I, I do know one fact: we can have in one season anywhere from eight to nine cuttings on average. I've heard some farmers can have even more. Oh, cuttings. you can do eight to twelve. I mean, eight I know guys 12. that are baling right uh, that were baling last month, January, and they bailed in in December. I mean, if you go every month, you technically could ba- get twelve full cuttings. And in contrast to the Midwest, that typically only gets about three or four. It depends where you are. Some guys okay. get up to six. Some guys get two. Um, but it's nothing compared to us. No, it's nothing like us. Yeah, and the quality we 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 produce and the color. People see the g- bright greenness of it. Like that's that hay's too green. I'm like, okay, we don't know what we're doing. Just... And you know, a lot of people wonder why is it? You know, why are we growing out? It's kind of like cotton. Why are we growing alfalfa in Arizona? It's a desert state. Well, you're taking care of the lice. Livestock, and because of that, alfalfa is milk chocolate in the making. That's what Nancy Kaywood, a Pinal County farmer here in Arizona, always says. So it's a pretty cool um, situation here in Arizona that we can do hay. Yeah, I mean, it is the dry climate that that helps us the most for making hay in the heat. It loves the heat and the and the dryness. 
We've got Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, and Trevor Bales of Bales Hay and Ranch, talking farm-fresh commodities. We will get to citrus, but hay is a big part of our local agriculture, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next segment, and then get to citrus in the second half of the hour. I got passion for my plants, and I ain't afraid to show it, show it, show it, show it. I'm farming, and I grow it. You read my mind, Gary, when you guys were talking about all the YouTubing and social media. The, what are these, the Justice Farm Brothers or Johnson Farm Brothers? What's the Peterson. Peterson, Peterson Farm Peterson Brothers, Brothers yeah. immediately came to my mind. Do you follow them? No. Out of the Midwest. They're three brothers, and they make all these parody songs while they're goofing around on the farm. Oh, I, And they're great. That's kind of how they went big. It. They would parody Modern day songs and tied into the farm. That sounds way too hard. I'm not. I'm not I'm I think not they have help. They're little sister. It's mostly brothers, but they do have a sister. Did you know nationally, alfalfa is one of the most commonly produced forage crops in the United States? And Romy, I know you're about to say something, or you had a question. You, you should tell us your hay story, the wonderful <laughs> customer service hay story. Related to Bale's hay. Well, back up a minute because you were talking uh, during the break about why there was a quick run on alfalfa. And <clears throat> I was very curious to ask you that question because I'm like, all right, you know, there, there's a lot of things I can understand that they're like, well, it's on a shipping container off the coast and the supply chain this and blah, 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 that. And I'm like, you know, <clears throat> but I started getting the feeling that I think. There might be some industries that are taking advantage of that excuse and making a problem because it's more profitable and they can charge more. Like, <laughs> Farmers are doing and, the same and, thing. And I didn't think that about farming at all, but I'm like, you know, there's no reason there should be a supply shortage on alfalfa because it's not coming from China. It's not coming from, you know, Germany. It's not coming overseas. We grow it all right here. And, you know, as proud as we are of our alfalfa here, in Arizona, it is the best. Right the across best. the Colorado River, there's 10 times the amount of acreage growing alfalfa as well. So, but what happened, there's T? There's no reason Trevor? we should have a shortage of alfalfa. <laughs> My best friend's son is Trevor, so I always call him T. So, <laughs> what's the answer? Uh, the biggest uh, problem we had came down to our monsoon. We generally don't have last year, we had a great monsoon. We just didn't have it. We just went nonstop making hay. This year, we had nearly five inches spread between. Uh, uh, 10 weeks, I think it was 10, 10 weeks, not quite three months. And we're always watching the weather and you've got to make that decision. Do we need to cut or do we not? Okay. We made the decision to cut. Oh, it got rained on. Now the quality's off. It's brown. It's whatever. But luckily we can still flip it over. If it's a light rain, you, you let it dry out, flip it over and bale it. And it still makes decent hay. Or you make the decision not to cut. We, we, you need alfalfa. You need to cut. We need to cut every, uh, under 30 days. The older it gets, the past 30 days, depending on the time of year, the lower the quality gets, mm. uh, and it starts getting kind of tough and, right. and discolored. Um, it what also happens after the rain, we can't get in spray for bugs or weeds. So then mm. the hay starts getting weedier and the bugs damage it. Um, then it just goes, we didn't cut because there's a storm coming. We're going to cut. Oh, nope. Here comes another storm. Here comes another storm. All of a sudden, hay that should have been cut at 28, 30 days is now 45, 50 days old, and it just looks terrible. And so we either had rained on hay that didn't look awesome, or we had old hay that doesn't look awesome. And so you have to sell at a lower price. But a lot of it boiled down to an inability to get into the fields and harvest it. it. Exactly, okay. exactly. So we didn't get in there. So we probably missed 
about at 1.5 cuttings on our on our on our production this year and that and, and that that weather went all across Arizona. There's one storm that was like a typical winter storm. It covered the whole state of Arizona and a lot wow. of California. So I have friends in uh, down in El Centro. Say they had same problems. Just they had so much monsoon this uh, past year, past season, the same as us. And it just it just really dinged our, our the whole southwest production. And that kind of is a reflection of the diversity of agriculture because then on the flip side of it, for our cow-calf operators out on the range— they so needed the rain. They did. We literally did. had ranchers that some of them did go ahead and sell their herds prior to all the rains when they came. And I had so many of my rancher friends say, Julie, if these rains had not come, I would have had had to sell out my whole herd, including my cows, my mama cows. So it's it's kind of that diversity of agriculture. And, and too, like the, the quality of alfalfa that Arizona makes – when other states have droughts, they buy they buy Arizona's alfalfa. Um, Texas, if, they, if Texas gets too much rain, Texas is such a flip flop. They either get too much rain, and the hay they can't get into their field, like like kind of like we had, but they'll have it for months on end, and then they they can't they have to buy our hay, or they don't get any rain and they have to buy our hay. Colorado produces a lot of grass that they, gets sent down to Texas. Uh, if if Colorado doesn't get enough snow to fill the reservoirs, they're only get, instead of getting three or four cuttings, they might just get one and a half cutting. And so if Colorado has a, a drought, that 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 grass isn't going down to Texas. More hay coming coming from Arizona. So Arizona and California have a lot of pressure to produce um, a lot of high quality alfalfa. And it's one of the reasons we do it so good. To your point, and why even other states are in demand. There's some pretty cool facts about alfalfa. Alfalfa adds value, valuable fiber to our livestock's diets. It has the fastest rate of fiber digestion than other glass, grasses, including corn silage. Alfalfa has a higher rate of passage through the digestive tract. And for our livestock, that's important. Again, we're trying to get that for our uh, cows in the dairies to get that milk chocolate produce, of course, the chocolate part of it does not come from the cows, yeah, but it's the brown cows. It's the brown, <laughs> right? Uh, one of the perpetual misinformation we keep trying to fix. Alfalfa is very palatable for our livestock. Delicious, delish. We've got Trevor Bales of Bales Hay, along with Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau. We'll get into citrus after bottom of the hour news. If you'd like to talk to a farmer, the lines are open. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you. So what do you think, Julie? Are we ready to talk citrus? We are. And, you know, what I was trying to do was find out, especially... Because of the fact, Trevor, that you're sixth generation, that within all those generations, somebody in your family grew citrus here in Arizona, but we can't. I know, no, I know everything there is to know about growing citrus. <laughs> yes. So we're going to ask you the hard questions. <laughs> but here's some fun trivia points about citrus. Uh, it is the perfect time to be talking about it because all of our cis- citrus is available. Grapefruit is one of my favorites. We do great 
we have an abundance of lemons, especially in Yuma, produced still. But Arizona citrus farming predates statehood by a couple of decades. So, and if you've ever been in the East Valley, you know all the citrus that was grown there and kind of now Arcadia, Arcadia, and then now converted a little bit to one of the five C's. One of the five C's, yes. And your family did contribute to the five C's with the cattle. So it makes sense that uh, it is obviously one of Arizona's famous five C's. Our farming experts... All right, so for anyone moving to Arizona that might be new to the broadcast... Yeah, that's or true. have never heard that... Candy, you candy say- canes, <laughs> cotton, <laughs> cotton candy, cotton, cotton candy. candy. <laughs> you had said Arizona's not really known for farming like they are yeah. in the Midwest, but pretty much all the five C's except one have to do with right. agriculture. Well, even climate to me, well... The climate's a yeah. big part of the And the copper, it's mining, and they also say mining is a form of agriculture. So I'm going to claim all five. All five? So Cit- it's citrus, yep. cotton, cattle, copper. Did I just say copper? Mm-mm. No. And then climate. Yeah, mm-hmm. and climate. The so, five industrial seas that grew in Arizona. That truly did grow Arizona. Our farming experts will tell you that Arizona sun and soil are we, per- perfect for growing oranges, We tangerines. should add a sixth. What's the sixth? Construction. Yes. There's been a a movement for about a decade to add two more to that. Cacti and canyons. Mm. Oh. Oh. Mm -hmm. Mm. You think we'll get it? I don't know. That started about 10 years ago, the seven C's of Arizona. Yes. And you don't think about cactus. Adding adding construction would be eight C's. We need 10. We need 10. (laughs) Whenever cousins from Louisiana come, that's the first thing they ask. Where's the cactus? Oh, uh, we got the you know the, the couple drives that we go take them on. All right, let's go look at cactus. Anyway, well, citrus well, is Romy, one of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, tell and me what the average American consumes in citrus uh, per year. You know, and I can't answer that honestly because, because I read your notes. And I'm, <laughs> but I wouldn't little, have guessed thirteen pounds. And I'm a little bit disappointed if you didn't couldn't speak right off the top because you're my numbers guy. You know. We can do some calculations on that. So how many pounds in your family per year? Are you averaging more citrus uh, consumption in the Romy family than most people? Yeah, I think we are. And the big part of that is we have uh, 12 citrus, you know, wide variety lemons, grapefruit, oranges, tangerines. And we'll go pick a bunch and squeeze a bunch. And, you know, we've from December through about March, you know, we've. We're drinking citrus juice yes. constantly. I love it. And grapefruit is my favorite. And I, a couple times we've had another young gun, um, sharp, uh, active and engaged on the social media channels, Selwyn Justice. They're uh, Justin Brothers Farms. And uh, they have a UPIC environment and have really been involved. In fact, they had taken over the U of A citrus farm in the East Valley and I think he told us, I, we'd have to check the old radio uh, segment, but I think he told us something like 40 to 50 varieties of citrus were f- experimented with on that farm, and now they were selling it to the public, fun stuff like that. Yeah, and it's it's the West Valley. It's, uh, the West Valley. Did I say East Valley? You did. <laughs> I'm, I'm partially East it's, Valley. That's where I live. It's northern Waddell, south, Correct. surprise. Uh, you don't, you'll take Waddell till it dead ends past Cotton Lane, and... That's a big citrus grove. And, uh, you know, we've talked multiple times with different people. And, I, you know, citrus originally, you know, it got over here a couple hundred years ago from China. And we talk about, you know, how many people here are in Arizona. And then you had, you know, the tribes that disappeared. What 
what would it have looked like if citrus had gotten here a thousand years ago? Exactly. You know, what- like our cotton. The Hohokam were growing cotton. Somebody always says, well, why are we growing cotton in the desert? And we always say, we took our cues from the Hohokam about cotton, anyway. So uh, I've said that grapefruit is my favorite. Romy, what's your favorite? You know, the Pink Lady grapefruits are wonderful. Um, uh, But navel oranges, you know, I I probably... How about you, Trevor, so you can contribute to the citrus commentary? <laughs> my dad has a tangelo tree. Is that right, tangelo? Oh, good. You hit my uh, mark there. So I just, I just warned the backyard plant around. I'll grab a tangelo and eat that. They're easy to peel. You can just they bite are, the top oh, off. It's like a grenade. Yeah, the peels, are, and they're usually <laughs> a little thicker maybe. Oh, I love the cuties. Yes, the cuties are. I, I love the cuties. Oh my gosh, I'll eat those till I'm sick. Which we that actual brand wow. we don't get, we don't grow here in Arizona. I'll eat those till I'm like I will throw up. I love them. My so kids much. too. And Oreos, I'll eat Oreos. Yes, till I throw Oreos up. and cuties. No wonder you're. Wow. <laughs> you can throw up by the time you're done cuties. with it. Wow. Well, on um, on that front with the citrus, one thing that we're really growing really well and a lot of is our lemons, and most of that now is coming out of Yuma. Uh, here in the Central Valley, we were the mecca of citrus, and yes, there is some citrus still, but it's mostly in Yuma right now. And just again, again, some mindless trivia facts, National Lemonade Day is August the 20th, so, and we all like our Which lemonade. Which seems like a very strange day, because you're not harvesting lemons, but it's hot. what do you drink in the summer? Yes. So Iced hot lemonade. lemonade. Yes. And it's I, monsoon I, season. <laughs> monsoon season. When we hope it rains enough for our cow-calf operators all throughout Just the... on the desert, not on, on the, the farm. But not on the farm. Not on the farm. If we could only negotiate that one with God, then we'd get it all figured out. Arizona and California produce 95% of the U.S. lemon crop. And we still have several of our direct market farmers that do you pick with all sorts of citrus and so you can go on to fillyourplate.org and do a search for that if you want to find out some of our farmers that do provide citrus. But it's uh, we grow it well here in Arizona, and so does California. All sorts of good stuff. And it's very universal beyond just lemonade. I mean, the amount of byproducts. You've got soaps and lotions and makeup yep. that have, you know, lemon and lemon scents, lemon, lemon this, meringue. lemon that. Oh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> You're killing me, man. You are killing me. Oh, my gosh. The best meringue, lemon meringue pie was made by my grandma and my mom. I lemon think we, heads. Lemon heads, all sorts of Jolly fun ranchers. stuff. Jolly Ranchers. So I spent a little time looking at Bale's website, and you've got a lot of retail on there. I, I think the amount of time you've spent here talking about food, you need to have a little farm cafe opened up there. Well, <laughs> so you're, you're, I'm trying to build a 20-year a plan right now, and with a new, a big new building, and that might might be in the like some ice cream maybe, oh, and awesome. sandwiches. I don't know. My wife loves cooking. I, I told her you could just take over the cafe part if that comes in but yeah if you guys redid that homestead and you moved the road a little bit like Romy suggested would that be the place to have the cafe unfortunately I don't know (laughs) I'm I'm looking at all I'm looking at building a a a large it's a 20-year plan anything can go yeah I'm looking at building a large uh structure out in the in in the in the feed pins I want to take out two feed pins so it'd be surrounded by cattle so it'd be neat. You go into the store and there's cattle on all sides of you. Oh, I love and, that. And then uh, you buy your hay or you come in and buy your, your clothing or whatever you want to do. It might turn into a boutique. I really don't know. But um, 
Because the public needs to really get the entire essence of what it is uh, like on a feedlot. Oh, I agree. And, I, and I, the way, <laughs> what, what kind of the negative about the old homestead house, it's right on the road. So you don't go yeah. back in the farm at all. Where I want to build this, you got to drive right through the farm, see the trucks, the tractors. The exact opposite of what your grandpa yes. wanted. Well, my dad is. <laughs> your my, dad. Well, they both didn't really like that aspect of it, but it, I, I, I think it does. Uh, it is unique. Right, you get to drive on this farm, and you almost feel like what's that restaurant in in, in Phoenix where you walk in the back door? Uh, Durant's is that it? And the, the you, steak you're, shop. You're like, yes. oh, you're going through the kitchen and stuff. That's <laughs> kind of so cool, cool, right? It's well, I think so it's cool. still somewhat of the same for us. Like, whoa, we're going, we're going back where you're not supposed to go, right? It's right. The, it's the end of this place, so yeah. And it keeps people's attention because there's so much to see, there's so much to engage in. I don't know. I think you need a. And, and there is an amazing family here in the state of Arizona that helps with renovations and, you know, renovations with new kitchens and homes. So you need to check out that family. I, I we, tried to have someone come out and look at the house. They wouldn't do it, though. We we did what remodel did Bruce and Helen Hyden's house. Did you really? Yes, oh, we did. Yeah. That was back in the 80s. I know Bruce well. Oh, I'm they're just, good, good people. Good, good, good people. people. And our, some of the most amazing cotton farmers. Yes. And they have a feedlot, too. They do, yes. yeah. Yeah. So when did you guys get out of the feedlot business? Uh, probably in the early '90s, mid mid '90s. Do you miss the ca- cattle? I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> You're like me. You're a crop kid. I don't like. I, they break water lines. They get stuck. They get sick. Like I'm like, oh, the less animals I have, the better. But then I started collecting animals. I've got like a herd of mini animals, like miniature donkeys, miniature horses, miniature cows, miniature Brahma, Hereford. But then I. And then I have a regular horse, size horse out there, a retired horse from my grandpa's team roping years. And I was like, well, I need a big horse, right? So I had a Belgian for a while. Then one day I came in and he was dead. I think he had a heart attack. I don't know what happened. Yeah, just he's like laying there. He's like, hey, you getting up? Hey, Gunner. Went out to pasture. Oh, he just, yeah. Heartbreak. Well, you know, you could do what Karen Boyle does with Dolly Star Foundation. Do you know any of the Boyles? I know Rob, Rob Boyle. There you go. Well, Karen Boyle, um, she has started a therapy foundation, and she has a little mini cow, and she literally takes it in some of those memory care facilities to help older people connect. And she was inspired because— My cows are wild. Okay, so that wouldn't work. But (laughs) if you ever want to do therapy, you can get into that, too. So you have future plans. You've got a 5, 10, 20-year—so what— what would we see? I do like the idea. Now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I think I need the store back in the farm, like I said, but then we take the house and we turn it into a restaurant only. Love so it. have the store where you buy your hay, your bag feed, clothing, whatever. And then as you're leaving, boom, there's this 100-year-old house that's been converted to a restaurant with multiple levels. And you can't leave until you sit down to lunch or dinner. Yes, you'll force them to stay. Yes. I like it. <laughs> and Nicole... just shut the gates, right? There's there's the in the gates and the out gate. You know the spikes that stick up? You can't go out the way the spikes, you know, so you <laughs> so come you... in. <laughs> You're managing the flow yeah. of traffic. Yes, and Nicole will it. be the cook. It's best now, marketing if she, ever. If she's listening to this, you need to make sure she's fully on board. You need to sign a waiver. Tires. Yeah. Oh yeah, she lo- <laughs> she loves cooking. I have to tell her to cook less because I don't I'm like, look, I know I don't want to get the dad bod yet. Like we got to he has run a series, and I, you probably still do this, where he's eating one of Nicole's sandwiches in his truck or in the tractor. But, well, so one time, I, a buddy of mine used to eat ice cream in, on, on social media, so I'd eat ice cream and, and, and sandwiches, and people are like, you're not supposed to 
film yourself eating. I was like, fine, don't tell me you're not my mom. So I just, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to eat more now. Don't, don't, don't boss me around. Say I always, I, I shouldn't say always, but I like to just video myself eating something and post it. hard to really get excited about a bale of hay, but I don't think people realize and appreciate the significance of hay and why we grow it here and, you know, what what it means to us. Exactly. But, you know, historically, there's a lot of things that are just designed around your bale of hay. You know, the original truck beds were designed to carry hay. hay. Which mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Which, and, and trailer sizes were designed to double stack hay. And so the, a lot of the design for the vehicles and the equipment we use were all designed around transporting hay. Wow. Your your trivia is as interesting and mindless as mine is. <laughs> Just kidding. That and, is very interesting, though. And, you know, it's a, you know, it takes a lot of water and yep. a lot of people, I won't mention any names, but there's somebody out there running around saying, well, to solve the drought, we just need to pay alfalfa farmers to not farm. I'm like, well, then where's your Milk, food for beef. your animals going to come right. from? Because that feeds the animals that feed us. Right. And enter the alfalfa project out yep. of the San Joaquin Valley. And it's going, it's taking flood irrigation of alfalfa and turning it to drip. And the numbers and statistics on the water saved at the same time producing better yield because the water is going right to the root source where it's needed. So the alfalfa is even a higher quality instead of paying not to farm if you're gonna quote unquote use you know government money to solve the problem why not invest in a drip system that produces more alfalfa with less water and i always like to respond to the fact that a lot of our farmers here in arizona are actually on drip already Uh, some of the most dramatic innovations in drip have come from the Wirtz family based in pinal county we have um, an alfalfa fields that are actually on drip. So we do that, but not every soil type functions with it. And if you lease land, it wouldn't make sense to convert to drip because it's anywhere from fifteen to $2,000 an acre to invest in it. Um, there's a misnomer with the flood irrigation. My dad in the 80s with his farming, he did alfalfa, wheat, and cotton. And one of the things that he did was all the laser leveling of his fields. And then they call it the basin irrigation, which is basically flood irrigation. But he reduced, after he instituted, implemented that, and the expense of putting it in together, he probably reduced his water use by 25 to 30%. So even flood irrigation has a horrible misnomer. You can actually be very sophisticated and reduce sometimes the equal level of your drip. Not discounting drip, but you have to apply it based on your situation in farming. And Trevor, I'm sure you guys have considered all sorts of things to save and improve on your water use. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love the idea of drip, and I've, I've been on several drip farms. They're beautiful. You actually gain more more farm ground because with, with, with flood irrigation, we have borders that separate each each area section that's being irrigated at a time. Well, with drip, you get rid of all those borders. You get rid of your ditches. So now you're just roads and and field and and the the crop and so I do like drip they they come with new challenges they are extremely expensive uh, which maintenance makes costs maintenance costs but the, the the filtration systems that go into it the underground piping um, it all has to be everything has to be GPS I mean you can still wing it now on on uh, 
flood stuff and not GPS everything, but things just change. You have to pay a, a lot more attention, I would say. And the gophers are a problem for flood irrigation, but they come become another problem with the with the drip. They get that tape and they they chew it. Uh, you have to be very careful what you put in to your drip system. You don't want to plug your emitters. Um, but what's nice, like you said, you, your fertilizer is being injected right to the root. Um, versus, with drip. With drip. And so it's it's very efficient in that matter. Um, but it takes quite a bit more management. You've got to manage your, your drip. You can't just willy-nilly it or, 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 or um, wing it. You've got to manage the drip. It's not a wing and a prayer. It's true management. <laughs> and I was uh, marveling just at how low cost the commodities are from the farm product. Uh, we had bales hay delivered, large bales. I mean, these, you know, your typical bale of hay is about 80 pounds, depending Not, on- 95 pounds, what we shoot for. Water, weight, you know, how dry out. They are 95 pounds. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, so I had to <laughs> change my calculation on uh, how much weight I move every month. <laughs> Add 15 pounds per bale. But- you know, a large bale's what a thousand pounds? Uh, twelve hundred pounds to thirteen hundred pounds. Whoa, probably what you got delivered. And you know, we got eight of these delivered. You pick those up yourself with your hands. I told you, man. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> He's no. really working yes. out. But he that's, does look quite fit. That's what really, you know, got me thinking. You know, these are about two hundred bucks a bale. These massive, you know, thousand pounds. The equipment that it took to cut this, to mill this. And then move it and deliver it here, and it's still only two hundred bucks a bale. I mean, the amount of money and infrastructure that goes into farming, and you guys make the cheapest stuff we buy. Well, it's something extreme that's very unique and almost like reinventing the wheel. And I love this topic. Uh, it's they're a neat family that do it. But did you know that we pull steamers in front of a baler now to make higher quality hay? To save I, the leaf. I it's did. a beautiful I, machine. You should that, come out to the farm sometime and see oh, but it. But that's if you're gonna watch a YouTube, those are interesting to watch because you we that shoots steam out the top when it <clears throat> the pressure gets too high and um when they're turning around at the end of the field, it looks like a train blasting steam up. But we are it's so dry and hot and here in the summer. Go ahead. How much does that equipment cost? Oh, how much is it? Really want to know. <laughs> what, what's, uh, what's a steamer cost? Uh, the small steamer, which we run for the three strings, was, I think, $155,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we ran small. Because it's so big and so and, and heavy, before we were just running a tractor and a baler. Very small equipment, right? You don't The, the small baler's small. You don't need a big tractor. Or you got well, a combine turn out into there that, now. <laughs> and when you turn into that train, tractor, steamer, baler, so we had to upgrade to a bigger tractor, which we went to a different brand. We don't run John Deere. We run a Fent now, F-E-N-D-T. And yeah, um, so it's everything's extremely expensive, but we went from running six tractors, balers down to just three. So it's more efficient, better quality. Well, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. We've been talking with spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, Julie Murphy. You can go to azfb.org and sign up for your annual membership, just $60. And Trevor Bales of Bales Hay and Buckeye, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us.